Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Today's message I want to share with you is titled Heritage of Faith. Heritage of Faith. Amen. Gonna have a good time in this word. I'll tell you what, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Mm-hmm. Because our more group is very special, right? That's that what you just said, huh? And this is a verse and a discussion that 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 popped up in our in our more chat that God started to stir. And it's funny because uh, God is speaking to us in unison. Second uh, Timothy chapter one. Once you're there, give me an amen. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. In 2 Timothy, you know what? This is what we'll do. I, I put it on my notes to begin reading with this, but I wasn't. Let's just begin reading with this. Uh, let's go to 2 Timothy 1. We'll read it again. It says in uh, verse 3. Let's start in verse 3. It says, Timothy, Paul's writing this to Timothy. I'll give you some of the background and some details um, as we get into it, a little bit deeper into it. But let's just read it. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience. I'm going to read from the NLT right now. Sorry. Just as my ancestors did, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. 2 Timothy 2.5, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Such an important verse. This is why I remind you. To fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, timidity, but of power, love, self-discipline. When New King James will say, in a sound mind. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Do not be ashamed of me either. Your pastor, your leader, your apostle, he's telling him. Even though I'm in prison for him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Verse 10. And now he has made us all of this plain, made uh, made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. Verse 11, and God chose me to be a preacher, apostle, teacher of the good news. This is why I am suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it. I will read that one more time. This is why I am suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you've learned from me. A pattern that is shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Verse 14. We'll end right there for a moment. I know we read it fast. I know you tried to follow along. But what did you get out of it? What did you get out of that? What, what popped up? He's not ashamed. Not ashamed. He sent him. Sent him. 
steadfast in faith. God is going to take care of him no matter what. The good news. What else did you guys get? Protect the truth. Guard it. Trust. Suffer. Prison. Have faith in prison. And suffering and in peace. God, so encouraging. <laughs> Winning in pain. Fearless. Huh? Know what you've got. Man, that should be the title of the message. Know what you got. People don't do what they need to do because they don't know what they got. Until they lose it. Until they lose it. <laughs> Amen. It's good stuff. There's a lot of stuff in this passage. Um, and we could go so many different avenues, so many different. The word of God is, is a beautifully planted tree, you know, with so many beautiful branches that gives off so many beautiful leaves, that gives off so many beautiful fruit. And it's just like, this stuff could go all kinds of ways, but yet all be rooted in the same thing. Yeah. All right. We're obviously, obviously um, in an interesting time in our world and in our nation. It's obvious. A lot of people aren't here today because we live, we're, we're, we're going through an interesting time. And... Um, People are freaked out, and there's a lot of talk, and there's a lot of what happens, and there's, and what can be, and and I get it, I get the cautiousness of it and, and the awareness of it, but it's obvious that that that's what's happened. I mean, my schools closed down this week. My kids went from one week of spring break, and starting already at two, and I'm like, they better figure this virus stuff out real quick, <laughs> because because you know, I mean, I love to spend time with them, but man, like. We got to work. We got to do things. We got to make things happen. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm saying. Not that we don't love you kids. Not that we don't love the kids. We love them kids, but, but we got to do things. We got to make things happen. And especially, you got to homeschool them. Yeah, you know, they, get, they got sent home with packets. And they're like, all right, parents, go teach them. Go teach them. So, amen, we're in prison. Find faith, find joy in the prison. Amen. Now, nah, but looking forward to spending family time, but, but also, um, um, also hopefully, but those are the changes that we have, you know. Things are closing down, so looking forward to the NBA playoffs. We'll see what happens. So, like, all these weird things that just happened that, that has never happened like this in our nation, like just crazy stuff in our world. Moments, but, but I believe this, and I wrote this down. Moments like the one that we're in now. Um, in our world, because it's, it's not just our nation, it's not just our city or town. It's not like a hurricane passed and it just destroyed this county. It's, it's a global thing that is being um, told to us. And moments like this, it's interesting because I, I believe that they're used to, to gauge and to measure us. I think difficult circumstances, we could use them to really examine where we're at with God. I mean, didn't you just say that when you read this passage? That he was in prison and finding joy. He was in prison and suffering and still had faith. He was in, I mean, think about that. So, okay, after we just read 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 1, did Paul pass the test? Is Paul passing the test? Yeah. 
He's not writing to Timothy, I can't believe I'm in prison, brother, pray. Did you notice he said, I'm praying for you. He didn't even tell Timothy, pray for me. Tell the church to fast for me. I'm in prison. I'm hearing the screams of those who are on the chopping block. And I, what I'm told is my number's next. So pray for me. Pray for me that I get out of here because the brother that was just next to me in prison, he just got killed and I think I'm next. Pray for me. I probably have a couple days left. You need to hurry up. He was not even, he was, he was unmovable. He's like, I'm actually praying for you. I'm thankful for God for your faith, the faith that you learned from your grandmother and your mother. Man, continue in the faith. Fan that flame inside of you that, I, that was given to you when I laid hands on you as your apostle and your elder. And, and he's encouraging his son in the faith. And, and, and he's not asking, oh my God, can someone please encourage me? What is that? It is a place of maturity where all of us are to get to. It is a place of maturity where all of us are to get to. That's the reality of what Paul's doing. He's revealing who he is in Christ. He's like, man, no one's writing me a letter. No one's saying I'm praying for you in prison, but I'm writing letters and I'm praying for people in prison because he's found that in his suffering there's great joy. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture. And what it's doing is it's showing us, Paul's passing the test here. I'm wondering how many of us are passing the test here. How many of us are passing the test when difficult circumstances come? I believe that in the midst of difficult circumstances, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we just preached two weeks ago about the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, then we have to know this. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom. And if the Holy Spirit gives wisdom, it's going to give wisdom most importantly to moments like this. What do I do? What's best for my family? Where do I go? How do I do about this? Where do I go from here? And I think that, that, that we need to pay attention to those who are in leadership, but we can never forget who is the grand leader and who leads our lives. And that's very important. I do not believe that the Spirit of the Lord living inside of us is calling us to panic. I don't believe that. I think that's against His word. I think that's against the nature of God. I don't think that the Holy Spirit lives inside us a panic. Because Paul is dying, literally dying. He's in his deathbed right here. He's going to die any moment. And there's not a thing that I can read that is panicking within Paul. He's like, I am so good. Though I'm about to die, I am so good. He's not panicking. I don't believe that when the, the Holy Spirit living inside of us is calling us to panic, it's calling us to fear, and it's calling us to live in constant worry by every word that comes out in our day, in news outlets. I don't believe that. If what you're listening to is bringing fear and panic, it's a gauge, it's a measuring stick, it's an examination. You're failing the test. You guys with me? Whatever your news outlet is, if it's causing panic, you're failing the test. If it's bringing fear, not cautiousness, I'm going to get to that. You need to be cautious. You need to be aware. You need to be alert. I'm not, I'm talking about, oh no, what, you failing the test. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Let's talk about this. We need to be smart. As we, as we say this, at the same time, he's not calling us to be lazy. And what I mean by that is, oh, whatever happens is going to happen kind of attitude. We can't do that either. Because the Lord's like, no, I gave wisdom. Betsy came and wiped off the thing. I don't think she's a foolish for doing that. God gave her wisdom. She got to give her wisdom. And in her wisdom, she came and what? Wiped the mic. I mean, she was a little late because I had already touched it and stuff like that. But (laughs) (laughs) 
But she, you know, she operated in it. She operated in it. <laughs> but we can't have that attitude either. We have to be wise. We need to be smart. We need to be wise. We need to be knowledgeable. We need to take care of ourselves during this time. Amen? We need to, we need to have, uh, help each other out. Very important. But more than ever, listen to this, more than ever, we need to run to his word. Run to his presence. Because he's telling the church something special about something special right now at this age. I believe that God is speaking something special. If you're listening, you'll hear what God is saying to the church about this age and in the time that we're living in. So I wrote this down and I highlighted it. I think you should write this down. Don't get into such a panic that you miss what he's saying. And because of that, you miss how he may want to use you in this time. Don't get into such a panic that you miss what he's saying. And then you miss how he wants to use you during this time. I read a scripture right now in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And in verse 7 it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Of self-discipline. I like that the new living puts it self-discipline. Because if you study this passage and you really look into the word sound mind, you'll see that one of the definitions in the Greek would translate into this self-discipline. To have a disciplined mindset. Do you guys know what that means? To have a mind that is controlled. A mind that is healthy. A disciplined and healthy mind. What the New King James will call a sound mind. Our minds are to be what? Ordered. Listen to me. You are in this, you are in this earth, yes? You are in this place, yes? I, I, need, I need all of us to understand this. We are of another kingdom. We are from a whole other order. We have, are from a whole other spirit. And we need to demonstrate that. And our minds need to be sound. Because there's a people out there that go nuts for everything. And they need to see pillars of the faith that have a sound, ordered, disciplined, biblical mind. It's our responsibility. But we will never have a disciplined mind, a sound mind, if we're living with the spirit of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear. Power. Listen to these words, ready? Everything opposite of what we're seeing today and hearing today. Power, love, sound mind, clear mindset, ordered mind, disciplined. Come on, keep it sound. Your spirit does not or should not resonate fear. Have we been fearful in our lives? Yes. But if you're living in constant fear, is that of God? No, constant fear, no way. But are there pockets of fear in our lives that God's dealing with? 100%. But there's no way that we should be living in that. It is not of the Spirit. In moments like these, the Spirit in us is pressed to respond. I need you guys to listen to this. In moments like today, the Spirit that is in us is pressed to respond. And what should the response of the Spirit that is living inside of us what should it be? Paul says it. It should be what? Power. 
How is my spirit responding with power? How is my spirit responding with love? How is my spirit responding with a sound mind? Why? Because how is the spirit of this world responding in weakness? How is the spirit of this world responding in hatred and fear? How is the spirit of this world responding with a crazy mind? But ours is power, love, and a clear mind. That's what God's called us to. In Matthew 24, Jesus warns of the times to come. The times of the end of age and all those beautiful words that people fantasize over. And none of this stuff surprises us. Let me ask you a question. Can I, can, I feel like it's a, we could be very transparent today. And can I ask you guys a question? Let's say it, it goes beyond what's happening today. Let's say it's something more drastic, more intense. Like, what happens to the church? Like, what really happens to the bride? Like, we have to really think about these things. Like, like what happens if um, stuff we read in Scripture, some of these things come to pass and we see some very difficult moments ahead of us? What is the position of the church during these, these moments? None of this stuff should surprise us. It should break our hearts and in a sense and it should cause us to pray and it should cause us to all, but none of it should surprise us um, uh, because the, the, these are the days that we live in. We live in a, in a day where, where the world or governments are causing uh, the, the greatest of apostasy, turning away from God in ways, mocking God, mocking and spitting his word from, from the origin of what a man and a woman should look like, from the origin of what a marriage should look like. I mean, they are spitting in the face of God's creation and what God originated in creating things. I mean, I mean, and then what we just expect, like, the days are coming. We need to be aware of it as a church. And we need to rejoice. What does Paul say? We look up. For our redemption draws near. We need to recognize that if we are the church, we are the bride, we have a promise. And the promise is, at the end of it all, we win. We win. We never lose. We win. So how can I fear? Can it madden me? Is that a word, madden me? It is, no. Can it madden me? Absolutely. It could get me mad. Why not? God was mad. Jesus was mad. He flipped tables over and stuff like that. It could madden us. Should it cause us to be cautious? Absolutely be cautious. But to fear? Never to fear. Amen? If I fear, then I lose out on what Paul is telling Timothy. If I fear, then I won't display to those who need it. I won't display what? Love. The right clear mind. Power and what a perfect time. What a perfect time you have right now with your family, with your friends, with your neighborhood to say, let me show you what the power of God looks like. Let me show you what the right mindset looks like. Let me show you what love looks like. You have such an opportunity today. Amen? All right, so let's get into 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we read it already. In 2 Timothy 1, as the new King James kind of gives you a little commentary here. I'm going I'm to read it, and maybe you, you understand it just as I read it. It says this, when death nears, when death nears. I don't know if any of you have ever brushed death or experienced death, or you know someone that has, and you've heard their story. They've come close to death. Look what it says here. When death nears, priorities change. In light of mortality, what used to seem significant may dim in comparison to one's ultimate fate. 
That is why we listen to a person's last words. When all is said and done, everyone wants to know what gave that person hope in the face of death. Second Timothy is Paul's last word. Second Timothy is Paul's last words. From a cold, lonely Roman prison, this aged apostle wrote his final instructions. To his protege Timothy, he knew, Paul, that this letter might well be his final contact with Timothy. His execution was most likely imminent, and he implored Timothy to come quickly to his side. But in case he did not make it, Paul imparted his last words of encouragement to his son in the faith. Powerful. Verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life that is promised through the faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, I am writing to Timothy, my dear son, may God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give grace, mercy, and peace. Where is he from? Where is he writing from? From prison in Rome in a very cold, damp place where he may be hearing the screams of the executions. I mean, he's there and he's writing such beautiful word with the penmanship to a spiritual son, Timothy. And look at as it continues. Verse 3, Timothy... This letter is written to you. Timothy, I thank God for you. What a beautiful words to hear from a dying man. And you hear a dying man say, I thank God for you. Out of everything to say, you're dying. You're going to thank God for me? The God I serve with a clear conscience. Did you hear that? Clear conscience. Clear conscience. My mind is right. My conscience is right. Just as my ancestors did, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. He's in prison. He's in the cold. He's about to die. But yet he's remembering and he's praying for Timothy in this damp, cold prison. But he's an apostle and he's old in his years and he stays constant. I think someone said constant or something like that. But he is constant, constant in what still matters. Constant in what is the ultimate reason why we're here he is constant and he's still worshiping God and he's still praying he's still in prayer he does not leave from worshiping God times get tough oh no I have to ex- I have to run away I have to run to a cave I gotta stop worshiping God I ca- my my prayer life is really suffering why why is it suffering because things are just getting so rough in my life no if things are getting rough your prayer life should be what increasing If things are getting worse, your worship should be what? Increasing. And and here's Paul in the midst of such a dire circumstance. And he's worshiping God. And he's lifting up in prayer. And what is he doing? What did we say when we opened up? He is what? He's passing the test. He knows what he got. Like our sister said, he he knows what he got. He, He knows. He's aware of what he got. What a lesson this is for us, the reader. What a lesson this is us for these disciples of today. That whatever circumstance that we believe, that we, could, that we as believers can say, man, I am always and in everything committed to him. What is your purpose in life? It's to be committed to him. Fully committed to him. My commitment to him has to be before every other earthly commitment. It's my commitment to him. I wasn't just called here to be a husband. I wasn't called here just to be a, a parent to my two children. I wasn't just called here to be a shepherd to the sheep. I wasn't here just called here. For, my, my, my calling goes deeper than all of that. Is, is it a life that is committed to Christ? <clears throat> it's my great calling. And what a lesson this is. Verse 4, he says what? 
I long to see you again, Timothy. I remember your tears as we parted. What does that show you about Timothy and Paul, man? They loved each other. Timothy and Paul, man, shared something together. Timothy looked at Paul as his, as his leader, as a pastor in his life, the apostle of his life, as a father in the faith to him. And he says, and I will be filled with joy when we're together again. Here, here is the heart of a father and a son. And then in verse 5, he says, I remember something, Timothy, about you. I remember this. I just don't remember that you cried when I left and I longed to be with you again and all that. But I remember this about you. I remember your faith and it's genuine. It's a genuine faith. The Greek word there, when you grab that, it means it's undisguised. It's without hypocrisy. And that's powerful because, oh, you're just a genuine faith. No, no, it's not just genuine faith. It is like there is not, you don't have a mask to your name. You don't wear disguises. You are an open man. It's undisguised and without hypocrisy. You have a genuine faith. For what, look what he says. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois. What, what is he saying? I know your grandmother, boy. I know your grandmother, boy. And my God, do you remind me of her, the way you live out your faith. It reminds me of your grandmother. Man, you, you, you're, you're filled with the same faith that your grandmother Lois had. And not only Lois, but, the, but, what, but what also came from Lois, which was who? Eunice, your mother. I see the faith, faith of Eunice in you. And look what he says next. And I know that that same faith continues weak in you. No. Continues strong in you. It is a faith that comes from your grandmother that was handed down to your mother and now it's handed down to you. I've seen a mantle from generations past fall to the third generation and you put on a mantle that your grandmother gave to your mother that gave to you. I see faith on you and it's gripped you and it's clothed you the way it clothed your grandmother Lois. You there? It's amazing what God could say to you at four in the morning. <laughs> I saw it. You share the faith of your grandmother and your mother. What, what, what is Paul really saying here? It's a heritage in which Timothy was born into, was born in, was raised in. Timothy lived, Timothy lived in the legacy that his grandmother and mother left for him. If you turn the page over, if you keep reading chapter 3, the next chapter, remember when Paul's writing this, it's an ongoing letter. It is not a next chapter. As the letter deepens, as the letter continues to flow, better said, do you know what he says in verse 14? But you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. Who do you think Paul's talking about there? You know what I've taught you, boy. You know what your grandmother taught you. And you know what your mama has taught you. I've taught you, your grandma's taught you, and your mama has taught you that. You know that you can trust those who taught you. Verse 15, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures. Look what he says next. From childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. This is, that's, that's powerful. You know what's going on since childhood. 
look what God tells Israel and what they're to do with his commandments. I don't know if you've ever read this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. I'm going to read it to you. He says, God to Israel, he says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I have given you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Heritage, legacy, generational. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road. Let me ask you a question. Seriously, seriously, let's pause for a second. Do you talk differently here than you do when you're in the car with them? Do you talk differently here than you do at home? Because God said you talk to them at home and you talk to them when you're traveling and you talk to them when you're tucking them in bed. Look what he says. Talk to them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Talk to them in breakfast and at dinner time and when you're tucking them in and when you're in the car. Pay attention to what you're saying because the children are listening to everything. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. What is he telling the, 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 the children of Israel? Make it seen. Make it heard. Make it visible that everywhere that the children look, that everywhere the next generation looks, they could see it in you and on the walls and all over, that this is a place that stands by the commandments of God. And he's giving them this, 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 this oh, do this. This passage, man, it's, it's more than just like, hey, Timothy, it's Paul, remember me? Hey, comma, don't fear, exclamation point. No, that's more than that. When Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he's not saying, hey, Tim, I'm in prison, I'm about to die, I just wanted to say bye to you, and hey, don't fear, right? It wasn't just a superficial conversation. It wasn't just like over the top. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, I might as well write to Timothy. If I die, I don't know if he's ever going to hear from me again. They couldn't make phone calls back then. They couldn't text back then. They couldn't FaceTime back then. They couldn't send emails back then. They could only send letters. And what does he do? Led by the Holy Spirit, he writes such a beautiful letter that is just given to him by the Holy Spirit. And we have it today, and it's written to a spiritual son named Timothy. And Timothy reads it, and the church reads it, and they pass it along. And here we are thousands of years later, and we still have this letter that was written to a young son, to Timothy, by a spiritual father named Paul. And it's more than just, hey, don't fear. It's deeper than that. It's about the impartation from generation to generation. It's about generations, and it's about the decisions that, that we, as today's generation, must make for the next generation. And how it's going to affect them. And how that generation continues the legacy that in return affects the third generation. And the fourth generation. We have to believe that here, we're going to continue. Listen to this for a moment. Grandmother Lois, the grandmother of Timothy. It's awesome that we know her name. We'll see her one day. Like, yeah, I read about you in the Bible. I wrote about you. You know, you're, you know you're something, man, when you're written. Grandmother Lois, what did she choose in her life? She chose faith. That faith, listen, that faith was so evident in Grandmother Lois. It was so contagious in her life. It was so genuine. It was so real. It was not disguised. It was lived out. Lois's faith was lived out before God. 
you, you guys know what I'm talking about. You've seen your parents do something, and then they just like, well, you know, they, you know, we're good. We just justify. No, no, no. Lois, like, lived a life, man. I'm not saying she was perfect, but she lived a life, man. She was strong. There wasn't nothing disguising. There was no, she, she just lived it before her daughter, Eunice. And it had such an impact on her daughter, Eunice. Now, what did Eunice do? She replicated that which comes from her mom. She, she, she was just the seed of that. She, 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 she brought fruit from that which she learned from her mom. And, and Eunice, she receives this blessing, the portion of such faith, to live in what her mother Lois modeled and exampled before her. Listen to this. It was so powerful, it was so evident, so unhypocritical was this faith that it needed no convincing. That is so important. This faith was so evident that it did not need convincing. It was just the right thing to do, and it was the healthy path that was paved that Timothy walks into and carries the legacy of his grandmother Lois and of his mother Eunice. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever tried to convince someone of your faith? We try very hard to convince with our words, and I'm not saying not to do that. It's good to sometimes do that. You got to do that. Paul went to Athens, and what did he do? He debated with the scholars of the day on Oropagus. I walked by here. I saw the temples of the unknown God. Let's talk about this stuff. I'm ready to go one-on-one. There's a a place for that. That's good. But how about this as well that we cannot forget? That not just that and convincing people of our faith, but what if we spend a great time of living out our lives displaying such great faith so that others can see and others can follow. See, Timothy had these women in his life, grandmother um, Lois, mother Eunice, as spiritual pillars in his life. Not just to indoctrinate him with their words, but also, and very important, they indoctrinated him with a lifestyle worthy to emulate. If I pass by here and I pass this mic to your son, to your daughter, to your future son, to your future daughter, will they want to emulate you? Will they want to say, I want to follow the way my father followed and the way my mother followed? Think about what that means in the spiritual thing. What are we doing for the next generation of Christians? What will they emulate? What we decide and how we decide to live in today's day, it affects the next generation. Amen? Our sons and daughters are, are fearful and panicking. Have you seen that? Today we, we did a preaching on this a while back, that anxiety and fear and is at an all-time high. Young people at a young age are panicking. Panicking. And it's, uh, a lot of it is due because mothers and fathers are teaching what panicking and fear looks like. With every word, with every response, in every reaction, we're teaching people about the Christ that we say we trust in. In every word, in every response, with every reaction, We're teaching and showing people 
the Christ that we say we have faith in. Very important. And we must decide whether those that come after us will live in the fear that we will pay for them or in the faith that we will pay for them. In the courage, in the boldness that we will pay for them. What are we establishing today? What are we placing our roots in today? Listen to this. What are we planting that will flourish to a tree that will produce the fruits that are sweet to the gardener's mouth? The gardener will test the fruit in his field. Amen? God created us to be generational. I see it all over scripture. He created us to be generational. He called us to be generational. What do I mean? One generation that will affect the next generation. Will always affect the next generation. I, I love what the Lord tells Moses the day at the burning bush. You guys ever heard of Moses going to the burning bush and all that? Come take up your sandals. Holy ground all that. All right. Exodus 3 if you've never read that. But there's a, a statement that God tells Moses. Listen to this. It's going to come up on the screen. It's chapter uh, 3 verse 15. Look at Look what God tells Moses. Say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors. Did, did you just notice that? Let's just pause right there. Tell Israel that the God of the what? He's a generational God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name. Look what he says next. My name to remember for all generations. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. He is a generational God. What, what I mean by that is that he, have you noticed that in this passage, he is not just the God of Abraham. He could have just said, I'm the God of Abraham. Everyone just bow down to the God of Abraham. The rest of you guys, I just have mercy and all that. But I'm the God of Abraham. No. He says, I'm not just the God of Abraham. I'm also the God of what? His son, what? Isaac. I'm also the son of what? His grandson, what? Jacob. And not only Jacob, but I'm also the God of what? His children's children's children, all of Israel. That my name shall be remembered for all generations. It's his heart, generational God. He is the God, not just because of Abraham's faith, that he just remains on Abraham, but because of Abraham's faith, he's now what? The God of Jacob. And because of Jacob, he's now what? The God of Isaac. And because of Isaac, he's now what? The God of all of Israel. So I wrote this down. Take it as you want. I'm going to claim it for myself. Here it is. Ready? My aim my desire is that this stuff that I'm doing here today is not just for me. But that the God of Rigo becomes the God of Jackson and Jade. And that the God of Jackson and Jade becomes the God of their children. And that the God of my grandchildren will become the God of all of our descendants going forward. What are we establishing in every circumstance today? Fear or faith? We have to make sure we make the right decisions. Because it's not going to happen in fear, with fear. It's not going to happen with worry. It's not going to happen if we're panicking. If fear, worry, and panic has gripped us, it's not going to happen. That faith would have its ultimate grip on us. For future generations are all lined up and they're counting on our faith. Amen? Let's keep reading. Verse 6, and then we'll wrap it up. It says, this is why I remind you to fan, in, this is Paul to Timothy. 
This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? Timidity, power, love, self-discipline. Spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. We went into that already. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either. Though I'm in prison with the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer. That's awesome. With me. Hey, have faith. Be ready to suffer. Don't fear. Be ready to suffer. For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the, from the, before the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Verse 10. And now he's made all of this plan, plain to us by appearing to Jesus, his son, our savior. He broke the power of death, illuminated the way of life, immortality through the good news. Verse 11. God chose me to be a preacher, apostle, teacher of the good news. Verse 12. Here it is. And this is why, that is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it. I know the one whom my trust is in. And I am sure that he's able to guard what I've given to him. I, I wish you could see my notes. All I wrote was, Wow. Verse 13, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and, um, and love that you have in Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Imprisoned, about to be executed, in which he is very aware of. What does he choose? Trust. I'm about to be killed? Trust. In death, Paul is leaving a what? A rich heritage. A rich heritage. For who? Specifically in this letter? For Timothy. And it's a heritage to Timothy. It's a rich heritage for those who will pick up his mantle. Young leaders like Timothy will carry what Paul leaves for them. And, and, and it's that, that they will live in faith. That they will remain trusting in God even amongst the worst of circumstances. Moments that like today that we're living in. Man, it measures us like we opened up with. It, it, it's like a gauge. It examines us to see where we really stand. And verse 7 says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. Power though. Love, though, a sound mind. I like what it says, the spirit of fear. If you really dig into that, it means God did not call us to be cowards. Not a spirit of a coward. Paul should have just said it that way. Not a spirit of a coward. Fear is cowardice. Fear is deciding to choose being a coward. What is a coward? Anyone know what that means? Coward means you lack bravery. Coward means it's a person who lacks the courage, endurance to endure dangerous, unpleasant things. Coward just runs from it rather than saying, Christ, I'm going to run through it. Amen. I'm asking the worship team to come up. I'm going to read some passages and we'll end it just so you could get it in your heart here, in your spirit here. Check this out. Just so you could see other, um, other verses that are written uh, around the same context that we're talking about here. In Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 14 through 17, he goes ahead and he writes this as well. We, we've preached this here a lot. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. We just sang that today. Instead, you receive God's spirit. Did, did you hear that? You, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father, verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also, what, share in his suffering. 
you read this and you recognize again Paul speaking like we have the spirit of God living in us. And it's not one of slaves to be fearful slaves. Instead, we are what? We're sons and daughters of God. We've been adopted, meaning the spirit of God lives in us now. We call him daddy, Abba, father. Our spirit affirms that we are God's children. It's a beautiful passage. I'm going to read you another one. Sometime, um, not long after the day of Pentecost, if you've ever studied that in Acts chapter 2, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit fills the believers there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. and They begin to speak in other tongues and people are marveled and Peter comes out, preaches, 3,000 people get baptized that day. Just an amazing awakening and revival happens in this early church here in Jerusalem. And we see Peter and John right after that. They're on the way to the temple at some point after that in Acts chapter 4. And they come across this, um, this crippled beggar. You remember that story? Silver and gold that do not have. In the name of Jesus, they'll get up and walk. And the, the dude just springs up. He's like, oh my God, I could use my legs since childhood. I've been placed here at this gate. But today I could walk. So what does this guy do? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to hang out with you guys. If you guys healed me, I'm going, where are you going? We're going to church. I'm going to church with you. He goes into the temple. <laughs> so awesome. Where Peter and John, and he starts to, the Bible says he begins to leap. I believe it's dancing. He's dancing and shouting and giving God the glory. But guess what that does? Whenever someone is responding, it triggers the alarm on religious people. <laughs> the religious people don't like that kind of stuff, you know. I don't know about this guy. They start to question and they hear about Peter and John, how they healed this man. And what happened was they couldn't do nothing at that moment because the evidence was right there. Like, the dude's healed. Like, there is no line. It was just a hard situation for the religious leaders, for the guards of the temple to kind of bring forth the judgment because they're like, the guys are like, he's right in front of us. Like, we can't just ignore this, like, if it didn't happen. That's not the whole part of this story or, or me sharing with you this verse. Long story short, they, um, they end up in prison them and they're, they're, they spend the night in prison and eventually they have to let them go because it was, it's too evident. It was too much of a big deal. But right after, right as they're in this whole commotion, Peter and John, they took the opportunity to preach in the temple right before they get arrested. Because the crowds are, are like, whoa, what is the... What is this man doing dancing and singing? How did this man walk? And, and, and the crowds are there. And, and Peter being Peter is like, hey, I got something to say. Give me a moment here. He goes, that man is, and he starts to preach to them. He's, he's healed. He could walk again. And you know what he starts to preach? He preached in Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the message. He said, all right, you know, that's good. You know why he's alive today? You know why he's able to walk today? Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he begins to preach about the resurrection of Christ. The man that they just crucified, he's saying, resurrected. That's a problem for the religious folk. Why is he talking? Why does his name keep coming up, man? I thought we did away with him. We didn't do away with him. You made him more alive. And, and they took the opportunity to preach in the temple to the crowds. This ex, 
I say very proudly, ex-crippled beggar is now healed and he's walking and he's leaping, he's praising God. And look what it says in verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, by the captain of the temple guard, some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. Sadducees were like, we don't believe that. Don't teach that. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, here's where I wanted to get to. It says, as soon as they were freed from prison, listen to this because this is what I end with. Peter and John returned to the other believers, told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, the believers, they lifted their voices together in prayer. And they began to pray, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David. Guys, this is generations still speaking about ancestors. Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? Verse 26, the kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. Verse 27, in fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, oh Lord, listen to this. Listen to what they're praying. Oh, stretch out your hand with healing power. Oh, I skipped something. And now, oh Lord... Hear their threats. They're in a difficult season. They're in a difficult circumstance. They're, they're in a place of struggle. Look what they say. Hear their threats and give us, the believers are saying, give us, your servants, what? Great boldness in preaching your word. Now, oh, let us be scared and fearful and run. Oh, the earth is falling on us. No, man, all hell is breaking loose. We need to come to God. We need to gather together. We need to start praying together. And what are we going to pray for? Lord, give us boldness to preach the gospel. Give us boldness to preach your word. And he says, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miracle signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what happens. And they preach the word of God with boldness. Boldness. Does not sound like fear. Sounds like courage. Sounds like faith. Sounds like strength. Get around some strong people, man. Listen to bold words. Be a friend to the negative people because they need some of your positivity. Amen. But don't let their negativity influence. Man, you know how much negative things we hear? You know how much negative things come this way? But I have to choose to sh listen to them, but shut my ear to them. I listen to you, but I ain't hearing you. Because I gotta, I gotta get around bold. I gotta get around faith. I gotta get around strength. Because I know what this man is capable of. I got, I got, I got to, God, I got to cry out to God. I got to ask the Holy Spirit, man, get, 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 get with it. Don't, don't become miserable. Don't become fearful. Don't, 
gauge yourself, examine yourself during this time and allow it to be used to determine where you stand with the Lord. Amen. Jesus is speaking and he says in John 14, 1, I love this. He says a lot of stuff there in this passage, but he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. This is a man. <laughs> the gospel man. This is a man that is going to lead these men and say, I'm your leader. But as you follow me, I'm going to die. To then resurrect. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me also. That's what he's saying. I want you right there where you're, where you're at, where you're sitting. Everything that we said as we started off this sermon, announcements, all the little things that were said today. Everything that we've spoken about and intimacy and all that. All these little things that we've said today and everything that was just shared in this passage in 2 Timothy. I want you just to examine yourself. Where are you? Where do you stand? How does this time, this age, what does it say about you? What are you doing for the generations that follow you? Are you leaving a... Are you paving the way of faith for them or are you paving the way of fear? I've heard many parents say, pray for my child. They're, they're filled with fear. They're panicking. All these words. Sometimes... At those moments, I don't have the boldness to say, I wonder where they learn it from. Sometimes we teach those that were to lead those very same things. Oh my God, fear like I fear. Panic like I panic. Worry like I worry. But are we paving the road of boldness and faith and courage? Choose faith. For a great Timothy, there was a great Eunice. For a great Eunice, there was a great Lois. Come on, you're going to be a Lois to a Eunice who's going to be a Eunice to a Timothy. And maybe you find yourself being a Timothy to a Eunice who was a Eunice to a Lois. Wherever you find yourself in that trifecta there, it goes from generation to generation. Come on, I'm talking about an, a heritage of faith. I believe that these are the days that God's calling us to something greater. A heritage of faith. For many are looking, many are hearing. What do you have? What are you paving? What does your road look like when they travel on it? What will they experience? Hallelujah. Lord, you know every person that's here today. You know where we stand and where we're at. Lord, things are changing so quickly here. But nothing that is being said or passed or spoken about is beyond your knowledge. None of it surprises you. None of it has caught you off guard. The truth is you are sovereign. And all of the earth is your footstool. That means, God, you are at rest, and the earth is that which you rest over. <laughs> None of it has worried you. 
None of it has brought fear to you. None of it has brought great concern to you. Because you are in control. You are sovereign. You are God of it all. As man thinks he's God, as governments think they're God, as leaders think they're God, dictators think they're God, Lord, you are showing us so well that no man, no man is God. Everything could be swiped from under our feet. You alone are God. We place our trust in you. Help this group that's here and those that are listening on podcasts or whatnot. Help the hearer who hears leave a heritage, a legacy of faith. They will not fear and panic and worry. But that we would go in the days that we are called to live in with a great opportunity before us with boldness to preach the word of God. With our words and very importantly with our very own lives. Give us strength. Lord, I pray that you be with our nation. Be with every decision that is being made. Be with governments all over the world. Be with this land. And Lord, we pray against this virus. No virus, no sickness. Nothing, Lord God, is greater than you. Hold this world and let your perfect plans come to be. But let us remain faithful. Let us be sure. Let us not run to the caves with fear. But let us run to the mountaintop with boldness. To the top of the roofs. Declaring the word of God. Give us faith. We love you, Lord. I pray we were encouraged. I pray that we were blessed today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. And together we say... Amen. Amen. You could give God some praise. Why not?